Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz, wherever you are watching around the country or overseas, of course, um, Ausbiz is not geo-blocked, so if you've got uh, friends what, who want to keep up to date with the very latest markets and business news here in Australia and they're living overseas, just tell them to uh, subscribe and hook in either through the app or on the website. But uh, great to have your company for the next 60 minutes or so as uh, we talk through 10 stocks plus a bonus one that I come up with. Uh, that have been suggested by you and we put them to our expert panel for adjudication. And uh, it's always great to have Gary Glover from Novus Capital with us. Gary, how are you, sir? And Nathan Somersandaran from Deep Data Analytics. Uh, Nathan, good afternoon to you. Now, what do you got behind you there? Is that a... uh, Did you take that photo yourself? Oh, I wish. Oh, I, my artistic talents are very limited. Oh, you never know. What's it of? Is it a mine? Given your your background, it's uh, it's not the big pit in Kalgoorlie. It, it is a mining site. Uh, it's one of the mining analyst pits uh, that's been sitting around. I've been given. So there you go. <laughs> oh, I love it, Gary Glover. I always um, love checking in on people uh, over Zoom because. I reckon their bookshelf says a lot about their character behind them. What's your favourite? Oh, you've got a couple of trophies there. Are they uh, are they your sporting trophies on the top shelf? Uh, yeah, actually some uh, football trophies, actually. So um, oh. a couple of playing and a couple of coaching trophies. So uh, oh. a bit of a mix. Yeah, what position did you play? Um, usually play centre mid or centre forward, one of those two. Oh, OK. Oh, gee, you're, you're being... Uh, very quiet on, on that, but uh, have some trophies. You must have been a pretty decent player. But uh, let's, get, let's get into the stocks and um, we'll kick it off with the, um, the stock that I come up with, the stock of the day, something that's in the news and get the, the view from the expert panel. Thought we'd take a look at Katmandu, the big uh, uh, retailer, outdoor clothing retailer. Now, it came out this morning warning of an up to $13 million hit to its full-year earnings, dented by the recent lockdowns across the country. Uh, 40 stores now closed in New South Wales, with 26 shutting up shop in WA for at least four days, and uh, seeing underlining earnings at around $120 million dollars. Uh, sales uh, to the original expectations for the full year of 930 million. Uh, Gary, Kathmandu during lockdown was uh, like a lot of retailers, a bit of a star. Uh, what did you think of the trading update and the, and the stock at the moment? Yes, it's a bit of a tough introduction for the new CEO. Um, <laughs> it's only been there a little bit, even though he's obviously been within the business for a long time. But look, I think it's a great business, great brand. 
I don't know if the, there was value there before this news, but obviously the lockdown is going to be negative for Kathmandu. The interesting thing there is that um, they have grown their online business from, I think, what, 8.8% in, in 2020 to around 12.7% in 2021, the last full year, but probably still lagging maybe some other businesses in, in that online sales. There's still quite a reliance on the store sales uh, to come through. So... Uh, a lockdown here for a month across Australia is not going to be good for them. Um, so will impact earnings slightly there. But look, I, I like the business there. I just don't think the multiples um, cheap here at the moment. So mm. probably a business to have a look at. Maybe if it comes down a little lower here, maybe there's maybe there could be some value down the track here. But not not super cheap here at the moment. But um, okay. it is expected to grow its earnings next year. Okay. All right. So a no based at this price. Nathan, uh, a new chief executive, um, their first update always brings the skeletons <laughs> out of the cupboard to set themselves up nicely for uh, a bit of growth. Apart from COVID, could there be a, a bit of that in this update? Uh, look, I, I don't think it's that bad. Um, yeah, you're right. Every new uh, CEO uh, you know, rolls out the dead bodies. Yep. Um, to bash down expectations, so you know you want it as low as you can when you start. So um, that's logical. But I'd say, look, you know, I'll start with the big picture. Big picture, retail has done really well. Um, you are coming off massive handouts from governments, so um, if you haven't done well in the last 12 months, uh, you got problems. So Kathmandu is a good brand, um, as Daniel said. Uh, and also the other thing is, there's always an M&A play in Kathmandu as well. There's been a few approaches in the past. So I don't think that's going to go away either. Um, so I think overall it's pretty good, but you know um, it is in a tough play at the moment, and it's much more relying on the store play out and you know outdoor um, holidaying type things. And you want if you're doing things outdoor, that's when you jump into it. And obviously when you have lockdowns, that's going to affect them. And also historically, I remember that July August period when it's really cold, that's when they do a lot of their sales. Uh, and they do a lot of their revenue during that time. So getting locked down in the ground this period is really bad for them. So yeah. I wouldn't be chasing this stock right now. But again, as with all retail, it's a cyclical stock. So um, they're priced for too much, and I'd expect that that's going to come off. And yeah. when it does come off, I'll start looking at it. Um, because it's a good brand, and um, I, I think there is always going to be an approach on the M&A cycle, it is one you want to keep your eye on. Okay, all right. Uh, a watch from both of you, and of course, July and August is that uh, there must be big yields in puffer jackets as everyone freezes and goes to Kathmandu to get that year's one. All right, let's get into the uh, ten stocks that you've suggested we have a look at, and uh, uh, Shanavas uh, wants a view on Champion Iron, saying, "Is it the right time to invest in this company? It has a lot of projects lined up." In Canada, it's uh, an iron ore, uh, iron development and exploration company uh, focused on the Labrador trough in the province of Quebec. That's their flagship project, uh, a Bloom Lake and, and Fire Lake projects. Um, look, its return on equity has been pretty good, 15%, and um, it's had a 74% net income growth over the last five years. So. Um, it hasn't done too bad, Mason. What do you think of uh, think of Champion Iron? Yeah, it's it's the you know the little engine that could. Um, you know, you look outside the big boys, uh, BHB Rio and FMG. If you want to play the iron ore game, 
there's only a number of players for small cap fundies. Um, Min Resources tends to play in that, but that plays in a number of areas and it's been a massive outperformer. And then outside that, you're getting to um, Champion, you're looking at uh, Mount Gibson, then you're looking at uh, Grange. These are the players that are left in the smaller space. And Champion Iron is actually a really good project. And, you know, the viewer is right. They do have a number of uh, plays, um, I suppose, bones in the fire, pardon the pun, uh, but uh, they do have new production potentially coming in. So this is a growth story. It's relatively cheap. I know it's run hard, but when iron ore is sitting at 200 plus, these guys are doing really well uh, and they will continue to do well. And, and I don't think iron ore is going to suddenly disappear. Um, I think it, it probably will come back uh, as with everything. Um, and it'll probably come back to maybe 150 or around that level. And they should be doing quite well even there. And the other problem that you've got with the iron ore is if the Chinese are trying to divest away from Australia, um, this gives you that exposure in Canada that gives you mm. geopolitical uh, support as well. So I actually don't mind it. I think it's interesting. We did sell out of our miners last month. So I'm comfortable with that. I think in the current cycle, we've probably seen the peak. But, you know, after a bit of a shakeout, we'll get back into the commodity cycle because of the reflation play. So I think iron ore will play its part, and Champion Iron is one of those plays. So if you've been there, I'd be holding through, um, but I wouldn't be jumping in and buying it today. Okay, but on a pullback, you couldn't. And it's interesting, I was reading again today, China has invested in yet another iron ore project in, uh, in Africa. So it's, it's really building up an arsenal to take on the Australian iron ore producers and replace them. I don't think it's just the, they're trying to replace them. I think they're doing for everything, everything in food, every commodity. Uh, they are trying to not be reliant on anyone specifically for anything. So um, if you look at where they are doing in Africa, you have to remember for the last decade, they have been investing in resources. They have been investing in infrastructure um, and in investing in their economies in a lot of those countries to build them up. So this is a long term play they've been at it. Uh, and we've been looking at it. And it's not going to come online in the next five, six, seven years. It'll probably take somewhere between five to ten years to get in play. But, you know, they do these things long term and they're doing that with every company. Yep. Um, Gary, what do you think of Champion? Yeah, it's, I, I agree with sort of what, what um, Nathan's saying there. I think it's kind of, it's almost the 80-20 really. I think probably just over 80% of the gains have been made here in Champion Irons. Obviously, sweet spot with the with commodities running, iron ore price running. So um, potentially those iron ore prices, maybe they can hold on a bit longer and maybe push slightly higher here. Maybe this stock can, can go slightly higher as well, but you are sort of coming here very late in the cycle to be sort of, uh, to be buying the stock here. So, um, I mean, look, so far the corrections have been quite mild. So not a lot of, um, you know, the pullbacks have been pretty mild. So that means the trend structure's, you know, still in place there, but just feels a little late here to the party here. So um, yeah, I agree with Nathan. If, if I was already long here, I'd be holding them. Um, yeah. But I don't know if I'd be adding um, to, to my holdings here. Okay. All right. So uh, thank you uh, for that suggestion, Sanavez. And um, interesting analysis there on Champion Iron. Now, Dan wants a view on Arocabra, the um, uh, lithium miner uh, shares. Uh, are up about 180% since uh, November last year. So uh, uh, it's really caught the uh, the lithium boom. It's one of the world's largest lithium chemicals producers. And of course, 
um, um, the demand for lithium ion batteries in the electric vehicle space has been driving a lot of these share prices. Uh, Gary, what do, you, what do you think of them? Yeah, look, the space is obviously pretty hot here. Um, and obviously there is still going to be more growth here longer term in that lithium space there. It's interesting looking at the broker values. The broker values are all over the place. Um, we've got some um, you know, some brokers sitting at 535, some at 870. So there's a real um, disparity wow. in in, uh, in views across so the what, different... Uh, so what does that say to you when you see that big differential? Well, it's, it's, it's I guess at the moment here you've... Um, Sometimes, if you're in a hot sector, the prices can get can get ahead of themselves. Right. So, because everyone's sort of flooding into that, and oftentimes, you know, if you're early in this, when the cycle sort of moves, everyone sort of piles in. Then, if you're late to that sort of pile in, you can, um, you know, you often you often the share price can get ahead of the real gains, which are going to come later on. Because you know, the Oracle is not making any money yet. It's only going to um, get positive earnings next year. Um, so. Yeah, you just, I'm always a little bit cautious about jumping into a sector which is really hot, which is a bit on fire here. So um, technically, a couple of things I have seen here is that the last couple of sell downs on the weeklies have been, um, there's been really heavy selling coming in there. So definitely been some profit taking at those high levels. Um, most of brokers are sort of sitting, I mean, like anything above sort of 750 is probably a sell here um, to me, even sort of probably in those lower $7 levels. So I just, um, I think a lot of good news is priced in here at the moment. And um, yeah, again, it's, it's probably coming in late in the gains here. It's just the, you know, got probably risk to the downside is any issues. Yeah, because uh, those lithium prices, what, um, around $14,000 a tonne at the moment. It was around, they, they've doubled almost since November last year, Nathan. So as a commodity, it's shot the lights out. Yeah, look, if you, if you haven't heard of the lithium boom, well, you need to get out of the water. Uh, <laughs> lithium is it's the bingo word with what's happening with battery tech and EV. Um, and, you know, that's logical. And we see that demand over the next decade or so playing out. Now, the, the reality of when the cycle actually kicks in is always delayed. So we all know that there's going to be a demand for EV battery technology demand in the battery commodities. Uh, but the question is, of course, when does that come through? When does that play out? And everyone always predicts it's going to happen in the next year or next two years. And generally, it takes longer than what you think. Um, you know, I've been through a few graphite cycles. I've been through a few lithium cycles. Uh, but look, I, I'm a true believer in the renewable cycle. Uh, and I think in the longer term, you will get that. But lithium is part of the overall commodity cycle for me. Um, we've had a, a pretty decent run, um, and a lot of that is priced in, Dan's right. Uh, and I suspect with what's happening in the overall cycle, with I think in the shorter term, we'll probably see a pullback in all commodities, and lithium will be part of that. Um, now, the advantage with Oracobra is the fact that they are in a play where they're merging with Galaxy, and Galaxy was one of our, our preferred play in the Aussie market for, uh, because the lithium sector has been how do I put this, patchy management track record at best. Um, <laughs> yep. All three of them have had, uh, you know, it's one of those ones where every time there's a problem, you're not really surprised. Uh, you, I can add Pilbara to it. All of them have had pretty big runs. It didn't matter which one you're on. They've all had good runs. Um, they're also very heavily shorted because of the problems they always have. Uh, so it is one where 
you have to, you know, you've got to have played through hard. And, and for me, we've kind of played it through uh, IGO uh, because it gave us a nickel play and they've invested into lithium as well. And that's kind of a diversified play. So when you're late in the cycle, I think you always want to look at the diversified players for giving you a multi-commodity play. Um, and we had IGO, we got out of it about a month ago. Um, and it's pretty much gone sideways since then. And I, I suspect we're going to have a bit of a pullback in most commodities and this will come back with it as well. Yeah, I'm still, you know, when I'm looking at the three minor players or I suppose the Explorer players like Galaxy or Cobra and Pilbara, you've got to get a discount for the problems that pop up. Uh, and these are already pricing in a fair bit. So I'm not chasing these guys. If I was going to go for a lithium play, I'll probably play through IGO. Uh, but at this point in the cycle, I'm probably going to stay out of the miners and come back a bit later. Okay. All right. There you go, Dan. Um, thank you for suggesting them. Uh, Jess Maytham wants a view on Metcash, the uh, the big wholesale distribution and uh, grocery distributor. They distribute uh, to IGA, to Metcash, uh, Friendly Grocer, a couple of smaller um, liquor outlets as well. Uh, what do you think of Metcash? Yeah, look, everything boring is now sexy again. Um, so, <laughs> you know, you go into lockdown, the boring stuff comes out, and Metcash is doing well. I mean, it's just a thematic play. All supermarkets are doing well. Um, that thematic will continue to play out. Uh, we've been playing it through Woolworths, uh, with the divestment in Woolworths is play, come through now. We've got the Endeavor Group. I actually think both Woolworths and Endeavor Group look pretty good here. Um, they are the best in the category. Uh, and for me, when you're going into a sector where everyone knows that they're doing well, you want to be with the best guy. Right. You don't want to pick the guy who's lagging a bit. And Metcash is the laggard. Uh, they're doing well. Uh, there's no doubts there. Um, but if, if you're looking at who's going to benefit and if we're going into a lockdown period, all supermarkets are going to do better. Um, there will be CapEx requirements in most of these guys, especially in calls. Um, but I think Woolworths is still the best one. Uh, so I'll be backing Woolworths. Endeavor Group actually, you know, on a sidebar, uh, Endeavor Group actually looks quite interesting. Um, yes, it's got three three different segments. You've got the alcohol um, sales, then you've got the hotels, uh, and then you've got the gambling. I think the gambling obviously comes with risk, uh, but the hotel group has the upside when things open up. But the alcohol sales will do really well even in a lockdown. So you get an interesting group of assets in Endeavor Group that probably hasn't had the attention that it's going to have with the new management split out. And I think it's a fragmented sector in most of those categories. So they could do more acquisition. So I'm actually a big fan of Endeavor Group here. Wow. And I think that, that could be, you know, it's not an ESG play. Let's put it that way. No. So it's one of those <laughs> ones where you're not going to get selling because people who are ESG focused weren't in Woolworths anyway. So I think Endeavor Group will get their own set of investors and acquisition play. And it's such a dominant player in some of the categories that I think it, it can do quite well. Okay. It, you know, I saw one of the brokers talking about it as a category killer. And, you know, you look at the Bunnings, you look at the office works, you know, why is West Farmers done well in those things? Because they're category killers. They were the last man standing and they pretty much got everything. And is Endeavor Group going to be one of those in the alcohol play? Potentially, it could be. So I think it's quite interesting. Okay. So um, everyone got into Woolworths before the uh, the time you had to be in there, so you got your Endeavour Group shares. Now now that deadline's passed, 
they still look good even separately. Woolworths is an ESG play now, is it? Because that's the reason they spun off Endeavour. But both of them look good value at the moment. Yeah, I wouldn't say value because they are such good businesses that people are paying up for it. Uh, I think Woolworths is priced well, but I think it can go up from here as they deliver better returns because I think they'll probably upgrade with lockdowns. Um, So that's where the upside is with Woolworths, the the best in the supermarkets. Where the Endeavour Group, I think you get a growth story there where I think they potentially could be acquiring more businesses and becoming a bigger player in that category. All right. Gary, what do you think of Metcash? Yeah, I don't disagree with what Nathan's saying there. I mean, it's um, obviously what's happening is good for the, the whole sector. Uh, I agree that sort of Woolworths is definitely the, the leader in that sector there. So, I mean, look, it's a great result for Metcash there. I mean, the revenue line up 10%, um, net profit going from, what, 57 mil lost last year to, what, 239 mil profit this year is a big turnaround. So that's really, that's really um, promising there. The thing about... I guess the, if we look forward here, if, you know, say say come September or December, how long it takes for us to get um, COVID under control there, is is Mac Cash going to prosper post-COVID? And I'm not sure it will be as strong. Um, whereas I think I think Woolworths will probably be... Um, pro- 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 probably ju- just... To, uh, probably will hold up a lot, a lot better. I think will be probably stronger there, being the leader of the sector. Um, I agree with Nathan too. I and mean, the other thing too with um, with the Endeavour is that there's probably some hamstring. I mean, the management are probably hamstring a little bit as to what business they can do, being being aligned with Woolworths. Now there's sort of some separation there. Yeah. They can go out and be a little mm. bit more aggressive. Um, so um, is this a is this a beverage version of South 32 being spun out of BHP? All of a sudden, the management goes oh, thank God we're out of the bureaucracy and we can get a bit more entrepreneurial. Yeah, probably not so much bureaucracy. Just just means that you probably can't deal with all competitors um, right. because you've got some certain alignments ah. there. So yep. Whereas, yep. whereas now you're probably open to deal with everyone. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, probably a little bit more entrepreneurship there as well. I think, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good leaders under that Woolworths that have come through and they're probably looking to make a name for themselves as well. So... Um, so I think I think yeah I think I'm with Nathan here. I think um, Endeavour looks pretty well placed there um, for some growth here longer term. Yeah, interesting. All right, um, thank you, Jess, for that. So not Metcash, but um, take a look at Woolworths and uh, Endeavour Group if if you want some alternatives. Um, Gary Dillon wants a view on Serve Corp. Um, who are the uh, the big serviced office and virtual office providers uh, around the country. Yeah, very tough thematic, even though the share price has, um, has done pretty well here. So, um, yeah, so I, I, obviously they've sort of managed to um, manage operations pretty well, keep down um, sort of debt, keep the balance sheet reasonably uh, robust in, in pretty tough conditions. Um, so sort of, I think the revenue line was down 22% net profit before tax down 10%. So in a bit of a tough space here, I'm just, just not sure I love the the long-term thematic of SurfCorp. I don't know. I know they're sort of trying to move to more of a, a virtual setting there, but um, but yeah, we're, we are moving away from office space, no, no doubt about it. So just going to be a tough segment there. So yeah, look, 
they've they've done well, Surf Corp, but I'm just not sure I love the segment. Yep. Okay, Maiden, what do you reckon of Surf Corp? Yeah, this is a tough, it's a tough one because it comes down to your thematic of uh, where the future of office work is um, and how that's going to evolve. In you know, in a, in a global sense, people are used to working from home. That's a normality, uh, especially in you know US and Europe because of the weather issues. People are used to being locked down at home for a period of time. Um, so in Australia, that has never been the case. Last year has literally bashed a lot of management over the head to learn to use that, and they have. And I think a lot of them haven't realized that it actually does work. Um, so I think people actually work more when they're working from home because they feel like they have to prove themselves that they're actually delivering. Um, so in that context, I think there will be a, a, a transition towards the, that kind of a balance. Um, but Surfcorp will have a space to play. They do have very good assets. It is a global play. There could be divestments of some of the global assets coming through, um, especially in the US, if that doesn't start to perform. Um, so in that context, I think there is an interesting play there, but that's probably priced in. Um, if you want to look at a cheaper play in that similar kind of category, look at Victory Offices, VOL. Um, now that's been bashed up. It's a Victorian play, similar kind of offering, but it's much smaller, regional. Um, and But again, they are struggling. The sector hasn't done well. I mean, the big play in Surfcorp, um, it pays a decent yield. I mean, it was cheap. It's not anymore. Uh, but it's an interesting play. I, I, it's one where you sit there and say, look, it just I just can't get myself to see the outlook that's going to excite me to buy it. Yeah. But, you know, that's probably the whole market. So in that context, there is a divestment that could play out from the U.S. business. That could be a cash generation. They do pay a good deal. Um, the management owns a massive part of it. And they, you know, they basically turn out pretty good dividends for themselves. So I don't see them doing anything stupid. So... Look, if it gets belted, I mean, it's you need that discount for the, uh, the I suppose, the weak outlook. Um, so in that context, if the market gets hit and surfcore people start throwing out surfcore, well, then I would buy it uh, in the you know near the recent lows uh, because I think the asset play makes it worthwhile. But I want a discount. So the recent yeah. bounce keeps me out, but I want to see a pullback. Okay. All right. Uh, Maiton Liam wants a view on betmakers, the uh, the wagering business that uh, has put in a big takeover offer for uh, Tab Corp's wagering and media business. The market uh, loved that offer so so much. Its shares dropped fifteen percent. There's view they are offering too too much for it. Um, what do you think of betmakers? Yeah, look, I mean, about a year ago. Everyone was trying to work out where the value in Tapcorp was. Well, you know, it was someone else coming and bidding for you, part of your business. That's where the value was. Um, the whole wagering, gambling, online model, look, it's had a huge run. I mean, pretty much if you've been in any of the stocks, you've done well. Tapcorp, uh, PointsBet, BetMakers, all of them have done well. Um, pretty much everyone, because when you are basically stuck at home, uh, you know, funnily enough, everyone gambles. And when government gives you too much money and, and you don't know what to do with it, guess what? You gamble. Uh, so that's been a pretty good thematic. This is what happens at the late side of the cycle because they've all had huge runs. They've all got big multiples, huge multiples, and they need to kind of, you know, deliver the growth. And then when the sector starts to uh, mature, then you have to start looking at, oh, I better take out the other guys. So there's a, the usual cycle in the sector is playing out. 
where they're trying to acquire. This is, I mean, you see this clearly in buy now, pay later, where everyone's just trying to mm. buy each other up using their higher multiple at someone else doing a lower multiple. Uh, so it kind of adds up more and more people under your umbrella. So I think what bet makers, I mean, they were trying to raise more money than they were their market cap to take out tap growth. So <laughs> it's always fun when that happens. Uh, so yes, I think you've seen the peak optimism, but look, you know, I always say, look at someone like an aristocrat, and that will tell you what the sentiment in the gambling sector is, and that remains positive. Um, and so in that context, I think the sector looks okay, but I think the online uh, gambling sector, there's a lot of hot money in there, so I'm not chasing that. Uh, I'm going to sit back and wait. There was a value trade in Tapcorp and a few gambling stocks uh, previously. If you want to look at uh, a gambling stocks where there's value, you look at the casinos. Um, yep. You know, I, I wouldn't be buying it today, but at some point when they settle down and the market settles down, uh, I'd look at Star Casino and Crown. Right now, Crown looks like an absolute mess, uh, and Star is the last man standing. So if it blows up or Star ends up taking over Crown, then that could become a really good value play in the uh, gambling sector. Yep. Okay, Gary, what do you think about? Yeah. Mate? Yeah, look, it's obviously all the technology behind the whole segment there, so it's a bit broad-based in its uh, approach there. But it's um, look, I'm with Nathan there. I mean, the sector has run really, really hot. Um, it's all about basically the the movement into the US market. Obviously, um, before this year, obviously it's been you know that market's been largely unavailable. So a lot, lot of the obviously apart from the COVID, there us punting more. Um, it's also been about that movement into that new, you know, massive market there. So, but prices have got ahead of themselves there. If you actually look at the technical picture there, the, the price action is pretty interesting because prior to like a month ago, if the stock traded 20 million shares in any week, that was a pretty high volume week. And then when it got to 160 recently, I think it uh, the first week off the high traded a um, 100 million shares, and the first week down was 120 million shares. So. Wow. There was just a lot of profit taking <laughs> came in at those really elevated levels. Yeah. So when you see that type of activity, that's sort of, you know, it's just people taking, you know, kind of cashing in. That's the sort of smart money sort of getting out um, and getting out in, in style. So um, in a big way. So not, normally when markets pull back, um, if they overbalance there, so what I mean by overbalance is that that's the largest correction of the whole move. So this. Yeah. I, I call that like the trend tipping over. So that's never a good sign as well. That normally means you get another leg down. So um, technical picture favours another leg down here. So this might be one to watch here over the next sort of few months. Maybe it'll come back and, and give you a better entry, but I, I wouldn't be going near it now. I think it looks like it's going to trade lower from okay. here. All right. Let's recap the first five stocks and our stock of the day, uh, which was Katmandu, a no from both Nathan and Gary. Uh, Champion Iron, um, if you're in it, hold it, uh, according to the guys. Uh, would If you want to get into it, wait for a bit of uh, uh, a pullback. Arocabra, uh, no, the lithium producer. Uh, Metcash, a no from both. Uh, better opportunities in Woolworths and uh, the new Endeavour group, the, uh, the liquor and, and hotel business that was spun out of Woolworths just recently. Uh, Serve Corp, a no. And uh, bet makers a no as well. And uh, Nathan says if you're looking for that, uh, something in that gaming area, uh, aristocrat would be a better play. 
Uh, here on the call, um, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NAB Trade. Any stocks that get unanimous agreement from our expert panel goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again, even if it's in front of a different expert panel and doesn't get the two thumbs up, it then comes out. Let's see how we're performing in the last week, the fantasy portfolio up one and a half percent for the month up over uh, sort of one and a quarter percent and since the first of July ahead by 34 percent. Some of the stocks recently added. Uh, Western Areas uh, that came up yesterday got two buys was already in the portfolio so stays there. Um, some of the recent entries Samfire Resources, Bank of Queensland, iShares Government Inflation ETF and Magellan Global Fund. Some of the stocks are removed uh, Oz Minerals, Integral Diagnostics and Whisper. If you want to take a look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And in IPO land, Polymetals uh, make its debut on the stock exchange today after uh, a $5.2 million raise expected to list at around 20 cents. Uh, at 1.10 this afternoon, the team will talk to Chief Executive Alex Hanley on the listing and what's next for Polymetals. Um, let's go to our uh, sixth stock that uh, you've asked us to take a look at. And uh, Gary, uh, Roger wants a view on APA Group. How do you describe it? It's like a, uh, a toll road, except it's a pipeline for gas, isn't it? It hooks up yeah, all the gas absolutely. producers around Australia and ships it to market for them. It's literally all the um, it's, it's all the infrastructure, obviously, around that sort of natural gas, yep. um, energy, so gas pipelines, only the solar, or wind, wind assets. So, real mix. It, it's 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 funny. This one used to be a bit of a staple in, in a lot of you know in the generic broking portfolio, just because of the yield there was always been pretty high there. But it's a hard one there because you've sort of got a depreciating asset all the time, um, and they always trade on pretty high multiples. You know, if you look at this historically. Um, so you really just, you know, th this is really just a yield play here, um, but just not one that I'm really keen on, even though the price has actually been moving down and, and probably getting to almost a value point here. Um, so the yields were what, around almost probably over five and a half percent here. So mm. no, no franking in that, um, but still a pretty good yield in this environment. Just not. Just these assets tend to sort of depreciate over time. There's still it's still a bit of debt um, in APA in the structure there, but look, the price is moving lower here, coming down. So maybe there's an opportunity sort of to to look at this at lower levels. But I'd probably be looking at this as a trade, not a, not a great investment long term. Um, just just not my sort of uh, style what here. A, what about yield investors? Is it something something for them? They might do. They might do. If, look, if you get these things that are maybe at a low enough price, there you just oftentimes you're getting you're getting a yield at a price. If the right. depreciating asset depreciates um, lower and the share price goes lower with it, then that's that's not so good. So yeah, um, okay. yeah. I don't know. Like, not not my favourite there. But I guess look, if it got down to eight forty eight fifty, then might get interested maybe a little bit lower there. Okay, Nathan. Yeah, look, this is, um, it looks ugly, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Yeah, it's, it doesn't have the macro to support it. 
Um, if you think about where we are in the reflation cycle, you want to be staying away because these are geared up machines. Uh, but look, they serve a purpose. Um, they're protected, so they're going to be around. And uh, you know, when you're at home, you're putting on the gas heater. Um, you know, they they got to play a part in it. So in that context, I think they're okay. Um, and you know, um, Gary's right in the context that you you just want to wait for the right price. Um, I think it it will play a part in the yield uh, portfolio, but because of the outlook risk with rising interest rates, they're now looking like in the next couple of years, these are long-term assets. They are investing more into the Eastern gas distribution. So there is a CapEx play that will play out. Um, so the market is aware of that, and that's probably where the discount is coming from. We're near two-year lows if you ignore the pandemic fall. Um, so I suggest that we're probably going to see a bit more weakness as because we are seeing the short-term yields rising and now the you know once once the QE disappears bond yields will start to tick up again so in that context that'll all weigh on the stock but again if it comes down if you're a long-term investor um, it, it starts to look interesting so I'm not jumping in right now but it, it is one where everything that can be negative for the sector and for the stock is actually playing out so um, I don't see anyone jumping in and buying it um, so I think you'll you can be patient wait for it and if you have a bit of a uh, wobble in the market, this will get thrown out with the rest, and we're probably seeing a bit of tax loss selling as well at this part of the cycle. Uh, and so if you take those things, you probably will see a bit of a pullback. And if the stock starts to bottom out in you know early July, it's one where you take a small bite at it and add it through the time because this will be around in the long term. Yep, okay. All right, uh, Jenna Maitham wants a view on Kodan. A little South Australian company, which basically made metal detectors, gold metal detectors, uh, communication business. But look at this. Kodan shares are up 280% since the bottom of the market last year and 1,320% over the last five years. They're based in South Australia. Whenever the gold price goes up, I was talking to the, uh, the chairman of it at the footy the other week. Uh, it was a Port Adelaide game. And he was saying, when the gold price goes up, you'll be amazed at the number of little African villages that all put in to buy a gold detector and then they share it like a co-op and go out looking for gold. It's, yeah. it's the fu- not funny little, you know, peculiar company, but it's such a unique business. Yeah, it, it always looks expensive. And uh, it's one of those category killers in our process. I always tell myself, whenever you look at Kodan, it always looks expensive and always looks like it's going to pull back, but it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> you know, it just keeps going high. So it's one where you think it should underperform, but it outperforms. They do really well for a business which I don't think is that high quality. Uh, but you know, it is what it is, and they do it really, really well. So uh, I would never say. Uh, sell it if you're holding it, but I just can't get myself to buy it at any time because it has outperformed my expectations and the numbers, and they've done really well. Uh, look, I'm positive on gold, so on the you know if you extend that outlook for Kodan, I, I expect Kodan's going to do keep doing well. So if you're a holder, I wouldn't be selling it, but it is one where you know for years, for years, every time I think this has done too well, it just keeps doing better. So, so you haven't uh, learned. I know, I know. I, but I've learned enough to say, don't sell. I, okay. I just don't myself. 
All right. Gary, what do you think of Kelly Dan? Yeah, it's a tough one there. I mean, obviously, the I mean, the, the last full year was what the sales were up 14% for the year. And I think net profit was up now 30-plus. So earnings are up 30-plus as well. So um, there's still, you know, reasonably sort of a strong growth forecast for next Getting year. Getting good margins. Very good margins there. It's just you know, with Anthony, it's just it's always hard. It always looks pretty pricey. What's so currently what thirty three times earning at the moment? I think even if we look forward, we're on twenty seven times next year's sort of uh, forward earnings. Uh, just it it does look pricey for the type of business it is. It's just it is amazing. You sort of think what the um, metal detection sales are up fifty five percent the last year. It's just stuff like that's just bizarre. You know, it's just is is that sustainable? I don't. Yeah, you know, I I just find this one too hard. Um, it's you know, it's it looks like a business which has got a lot of risk in it, but it just keeps chugging along. Yep, yep. So, what would you do? Are you a buy, sell, or hold? Um, I'm not a buyer, right. but uh, I if I was long here, I probably wouldn't take my sell advice. I'd be probably hanging on. Right. Okay. All right. So uh, a hold from both of you for Codam. Uh, Gary, Ray wants a view on, uh, on Megaport. Um, now, a lot, a lot of people, get investors get a bit confused with this because they reckon they put them in the data centres, the next DC type category, Canberra data centre, but they, they actually link a customer up to a data centre, don't they? They don't actually own data centres themselves. They, they provide the connectivity. That's right. So I think they're sort of partnered with sort of Cisco now. And um, so, yeah, sort of networking that sort of cloud-based solution. It's it's interesting company, um, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Megaport. It, it's a hyper-growth company without the hyper-growth so far. Right. So we've really got, um, you know, a revenue line last year was, what, 58 mil, so pretty pretty small, but we got a market cap of $2.8 billion. So it's a company all about the future growth here. But so far, we haven't seen that that really um, massive jump there. I mean, last year, the revenue line was only up 11%. So we're still waiting for this mega growth to kick in, even though, um, but we're trading on it as a, you know, we're, we're trading in, you know, on, on the lines of being a, a massive growth company. So I just, I, I just see a lot of risk here with this stock here, um, already priced for a lot of success here, which so far hasn't been achieved. Um, and it's, it's all about, you know, obviously the, the cloud based is obviously networking is pretty hot, obviously partnering Cisto, good brand. So, it, you know, on paper, it all looks like they should be making a lot of money. They just so far, they, they haven't been able to deliver yet. I think they're still forecast. I think it's going to be 23 before um, we even get to a positive earnings there. So, oh, yeah, I don't know. Just it's always hard to value these sort of companies when they've got the, their future growth. But um on that market cap there, I just, I just can't, um, yeah, I, I, I just don't like it. Yep. Uh, Nathan, Megaport. Yeah, it's, it's the one where when you put the Bevan Slattery stamp on it, things yep. go a bit Looney Tunes, and uh, everyone chases it, and we're seeing that, um, and you can see that pretty much with every stock when Bevan Slattery getting bought. If you're a value trader, that's you know you just yep. don't want it because yep. he kills the value. Yeah, Bevan uh, Slater is the, the tech investor, is a uh, started next DC, it was a, a co-owner and uh, nibbles away at all these other smaller tech groups that uh, is great marketing for them, as you say. 
Yeah, oh, look, it's a, it's a, he's a great brain. Um, yep. Don't know if he is going to execute when multiples are so high, as Gary has pointed out. It's it's very high, and it needs to do a lot just to earn the multiple it's already trading in. So this is where growth stocks are pricing in way too much, and this is where we are in the cycle where the market is rotating gradually from um, hyper growth stocks uh, on very high multiples to cyclical growth stocks and value stocks at much lower multiple. So we are in that cycle, and this is one of those beneficiaries. So reality is, if you were in the last two to three years, or three to four years, uh, in growth stocks, you've done well. It didn't matter which one. You could have picked any tech growth stock, as long as it wasn't a complete dog, it ran up a lot. Uh, and that's pretty much uh, the story of most growth, high growth stocks. And you had massive multiple expansion. I mean, yes, let's get past the point that they actually don't make a profit, but uh, they try, the multiples just get expanded and expanded. But we are at the end of that cycle. So we should start to see through the thematic, uh, whether the rates go up next year or the year after, um, the growth stocks will start to see lower multiples and the cyclical and the value stocks will see higher multiples. So there will be a multiple change that's got to play out in the market. Um, and so different sectors and different stocks will benefit from it. I don't see Megaport with the expectations that are priced in will be one of those. I think you've got to look at outside. Now, are you playing this as a tech stock or are you playing this as a telecommunication play? Um, are you playing it as a data center? This is where the gray area for me. If you're playing the data center, go straight to next DC. Um, yeah. or Infratel, you, you'll get a decent chunk out of the valuation is in data centers. If you are looking at it as a telecommunication play, um, I think Telstra looks interesting here. Uh, but the thing I warn about having, a, a, I guess, a figurehead that you are chasing is look at what happened to TPG. David Tia was, everyone loved him and they followed him. And it was fair amount was priced in. And then it went down, down, down. A lot of people held it. Uh, expecting him to do the turnaround story, and then he left the business, and it just fell all the way down. It's had a bit of a bounce, but it's gone down a lot. So in that context, you know, multiples are high. If Bevan Slattery suddenly decided uh, he's bored with this one, he's moving on to another story, uh, Megaport will come back hard. So that's the big risk that you have in this investment. So for me, the fundamentals have to back it up. Look, Bevan Slattery is great, but if the fundamentals are too expensive, you don't chase. Yep, okay. All right, Max wants a view, Nathan, on fluence. They're in uh, wastewater treatment and and reuse of, of wastewater. They recently signed some uh, uh, decent contracts in um, in China, or not decent, they have uh, pretty good contracts, at least have got a, a foot in the door, uh, headquartered in New York. They're sort of in smart product solutions in terms of that wastewater and, and wastewater management. Yeah, interesting stock. This is not the first time it's come up. They've been around for a while, um, yeah. and they get into a lot of, um, I suppose, third world countries trying to clean up the water. And this has been up and running for a while. They're trying to prove themselves. They've done a number of contracts. Of course, moving into China is a huge positive. It's not a, you know, it's a micro cap. So you are yeah. getting into a liquid stock. Um, look, I think that the technology is interesting. That's why I've kept an eye on it for a long time. But it's, again, they don't make a profit. They, they're still proving their case. And, and the thing is, it's a bit like biotechs or mining stocks. You know, they can take a long time when they're trying to prove the case. And you could be sitting there finding them doing that for a long time. So it's one of those ones where 
I'm actually happy to let that be and prove itself and hit the first, you know, right. get into the profit region, get the cash flow running and the stock to start to run up. So it's one of those ones that you go, look, this has come down for a number of years. So I'm more than happy to let it run a bit to prove its case. And, you know, when you start to see outlook that's pointing towards a cash flow turning positive, P&L getting into positive territory, yeah, the stock might run 10, 20, 30 percent. But it's come off so much. I'm happy to come in then. I think getting in now, you could be sitting there for another year or two waiting for it to turn. Okay. I think the China contract is great and it's a massive market to go into. But, you know, we've been in that type of thematic before in multiple sectors. And it's one thing to get in. It's another thing to execute yeah, yeah. and actually get up and running. So Just no need to walk in. comes to, to mind. <laughs> All right. Um, Gary, what do you think of Fluence? Yeah, look, I've sort of wrote down here risky business and also risky domain. So, I mean, we're at Ivory Coast, China, Vietnam. So just sort of, sort of um, some sort of high risk sort of uh, provinces there that we're, we're doing deals as well. So... I mean, it's, look, it's, I know 108 mil market cap. Um, I think they're forecast to do, what, 35 to 50 mil in sales for the full year 21. So, look, starting to get some revenue line growing there. But uh, Nathan's right. I mean, the share prices, um, you look at the share price over the last um, five years, it's been a slow depreciation, you know, heading yeah. lower here. So it's, it's been a pretty nasty downtrend. So mm. lots of uh, shareholder of, uh, wealth been ripped up there. So... I just think it's too risky for me. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be wanting to sort of see. Yeah, that's a good chart there, that one. Look at that. So, yeah, um, yep. so, yeah I, I'd be wanting to sort of see a bit more proof of sort of earnings and um, and some growth, you know, starting to kick in there. But so far, it's just been a bit of a wealth destroyer rather than a wealth winner. Okay. All right. Uh, and our final stock to uh, have a look at, uh, Gary Penny wants a view on Sezzle. One of the uh, second tier buy now, pay later groups. It's uh, had a pretty good month, share price up, but all the buy now, pay laters have done pretty well. Afterpay and Zip both up uh, 20, 30% in, uh, in June. June's been quite good for them. Uh, what do you think of Sezzle? Yeah, look, I, from a fundamental point of view, I don't, don't like the sector. I think... Um... You know, these companies have got massive market caps and still sort of it's a low margin business. And so I don't like it here. But the, the interesting thing, actually, the chart actually does look uh, reasonably positive there. The, the, the technical picture is a little bit different from the fundamentals. It's sort of each pullback's been getting sort of shallower and shallower and shallower and um, starting to sort of tick up. So the chart actually looks positive to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to... Um, yeah, from a technical point of view, I like I like the look of it, but um, just not a not not one for me on the fundamental point of view. I just think these a lot of these are these buy now pay laters are trading on massive multiples, and um, and are probably high risk here longer term. But technical look look okay here in the short term. Okay, Nathan Sezzle. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, buy now pay later. You couldn't find a hotter sector if you try. Um, and. Uh, Sezzle actually doesn't have any operations in Australia, uh, but it's uh, listed in Australia. Uh, yeah. That tells you um, why we pay big multiples. Uh, it attracts um, companies to list here in the fintech space. Uh, look, I think it, it's an interesting one in that sector. Um, the benefit that the buy now pay later all had in the recent times is obviously with any kind of restrictions that we had a bit of a bounce in the global techs um, and also with any kind of lockdowns. Um, by now, pay later starts to look interesting because globally people are just running into that 
in any kind of lockdown worries. So that's the thematic that Bevel performed on. But I just don't see um, where their main operations are in the US, uh, where they're, they're going to have a lockdown. I mean, I was talking to my sister who's in Brooklyn and, you know, they're New York is almost like back to normal. Uh, everything is open and everyone's doing normal things. So in that context, vaccination is pretty high. I don't see any kind of lockdown issues. But the, the buy now, pay later, where they are now, it's all about doing deals and trying to do consolidation, buy up someone else, because that's the only way you can add more customers under your umbrella. Now, the question is going to be, can they execute in the medium to long term? This is going to get, you know, this is where the, the rubber hits the road. Um, and I think it's going to get really tough. Um, so in that context, I'm not chasing anyone in the buy now, pay later. Um, and Sezzle, especially because the US operations, I don't see them getting the free kick out of any kind of lockdown, where the other players like Zip and Afterpay in Australia will benefit because I think lockdown issues are going to play out, uh, you know, well into this year because I think, um, you know, without vaccination, we were at, what, less than 5% uh, yeah. fully vaccinated. Where uh, you know, when you're looking at Europe and US, they're above 50%. So in that context, uh, we're way behind. So in that context, lockdown risk is always going to be there. So I think there is a play in that, but I'd, I'd be a bit skeptical on the whole tech space at this point in the cycle. Um, I think the multiples are pretty high, and I think the US, we might start to see some pullback there, and that'll flow on. So I wouldn't be chasing that. Uh, but look, if, you, if you're looking at buy now, pay later, it's a trading sector. Um, it's a high multiple sector. The thematics are against it in the next couple of years because of where the growth value cycle is. But, you know, when it gets bashed up and the momentum turns, it's a trade there. Uh, and yeah. you've done what well you jumped in in the last month. But if you were there before, you lost a lot. So, you know, it just comes down to are you willing to trade the stock and uh, are you willing to make that decision quickly enough? So if you can do that, great. Uh, if not, this is not a sector for you. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. That's our final stop. Mate, Summer Sundaram from Deep Data Analytics. Mate, always great to have you on board. Thank you for today. And Gary Glover from Novus Capital, likewise. Thank you, chaps. Thanks, All right, let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, APA Group, uh, both Nathan and Gary have a no on it. Gary will get interested down around $8.40. Uh, and Maitham will be watching it on any pullback as well because it uh, uh, could be a good yield play. Uh, Kodan, a hold from both of them. Uh, Kodan was in the calls portfolio. It now goes out because this panel of experts uh, didn't give it a unanimous buy. It was just a hold from both of them. Uh, Megaport a no, Fluence a no, and Sezzle a no as well. Uh, that's it uh, for our show, the call today. If you'd like any stocks you'd like to put in front of the uh, expert panel, put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au, and we will pass them through. Uh, or tweet us using the at TV handle. A reminder, you can find all the stocks in the call's fantasy portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And don't forget to subscribe to the Ausbiz newsletter for a wrap-up every day of what's been happening in business and markets. You get Scuddy's view, you get a link to the Close of Business podcast, also links to the most popular videos and interviews during the day. Uh, subscribe ausbiz.co forward slash the COB. And quick programming note for you, be sure to join us later this afternoon Collins Foods Managing Director Drew O'Malley 
will join us uh, live to take us through the company's full year results. Of course, the outlook given the current COVID environment and impact and on any of the business, of course, Collins Food looks after uh, KFC, Taco Bell, a lot of the big food chains like that. Uh, Drew O'Malley will be um, being quizzed by the team around 3.30 p.m. Eastern right here on Ausbiz. That's it for us. Uh, a lot happening on Ausbiz throughout the afternoon. We'll be back after this. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.